In the Green Room with Bob O'Brien, brought to you by SOS Global Express. So today, folks, I'm delighted to introduce a very good friend of mine who I've toured with, guitar technician to Brian May from Queen. And he's been with Brian, I think, over well over 20 years now. And we've toured together in Queen and Paul Rogers. Uh, we know each other for years. Although we don't see each other regularly, we're fond friends. He's in the green room, and hopefully we're going to talk about some funny stories. Pete Malandrone, welcome to the green room, mate. Uh, hey, Bob. It's an absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for... Uh, thanks for no, 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 hang on. It's an absolute, this is an absolute pleasure for you. <laughs> it all, well, here we go, then. It always has been, hasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. From the first day I clapped eyes on you. To, Bob, you didn't need to dress up. I think you've got a bit too much blusher on, mate, and a little bit yeah. too much lippy for this. <laughs> Pete, would you give, uh, just give us a background of where and how you started and how you end up working for Dr. Brian May of Queen? Well, it was really really the right place at the right time I, I was actually working as a waitress in a cocktail bar i think if you recall i do <laughs> <laughs> no i was um i was a british telecom engineer bob since i left school and i left them and i basically end up playing in a terrible band um which we used to rehearse in my local pub and just happened so the bass player was justin crew who's an old friend of mine who's now um, Metallica's guitar, guitar tech. Um, I, got, I got really friendly with Justin and that was in 1994. And then I think I, I basically, I had a sort of interview, a vague interview with Brian. He just, he said, would you like to, would you like to work here? We're, I'll put you on a month's trial. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do a month's trial. I think I'm still on it, by the way. He's not said anything. <laughs> he reserves the right to let you down anytime he wants, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Nothing signed. Just a month's, keep, yeah, just a month, you, month's trial. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I did that, but I, I said to I was 29 then, and I said to him, I, I'm not, I'm too old to be a T-boy. I'm, I'm not going to be a T-boy. I want to get involved. Um which I did. I just, I, I was, I, I basically, first year, I, I ended up sort of being a tape op, really. Mm. Um, and the, the, the first year was, was brilliant because I think, I think they were finishing, they were finishing off the last Queen album, um, which is Made in Heaven. So I ended up working for about a year on that with, with, with Justin in the studio. And that was amazing. I mean, I'd never, I'd never been in a studio before and to hear, you know, Fred obviously had died in, in 91, but there was still all this recordings of him doing stuff before before he passed away, um, which he told the guys, I'll sing whatever I can, whenever I can, and, and, and you, make, you make use of it, you know, as best you can. Um, and he famously told Jim Beach that um, never, never let them make me boring. And I, I don't think that album did. It was brilliant. And, and, but to hear, to hear someone like him like and you hear all the outtakes and you know it's obviously very sad there's one particular song called mother love which i think he he sung i think fred sung the first couple of verses from from memory i can't really remember but and then he said oh i'll i'll come and sing the last verse you know another time and there was never another time i think brian ended up singing the last verse of that but anyway so yeah that's that's how it started for me and then and brian had a one-off gig coming up with Meatloaf, he was doing a guest song with Meatloaf at Wembley Arena, and they were looking for a tech to do it. And and I said, well, I'll do it. I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing particularly, but I, I had been used to working with Brian's gear, obviously in the studio and stuff. And I'd been 
I'd been messing around looking at it. So I vaguely knew what I was doing. So the, the first gig I ever did for anybody was, was Brian. Brian at, um, at Wembley Arena with Meatloaf. So that's the first, that's the first gig I ever did. So, you know, nothing like coming in at the top. The only way is down. <laughs> well, I did, I did say to Brian, I'll do, I'll do it. But, you know, if I get it wrong, don't shout at me because I really don't know what I'm doing. He went, no, no, it's okay, it's fine. You know, it's, it's just, I think he, he kind of maybe appreciated me just stepping up to the plate and going, well, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll do it. And then it sort of it went, it went from there, really, Bob. And so that's, yeah, that's how I started. I think if I'd been, my, my first tour, I think I was pretty green on my first tour. And there's lots of do's and don'ts on tours, as you know. And um, I don't think I really knew that at the start, where in 2005. I didn't really know what, I didn't really know how to behave on tour, what to do, or who's in charge, or whatever. But you, you, you soon get sort of um, battered into shape. <laughs> You'll always get some narky fecker who's going to batter you into shape because he just he doesn't like smile in your face on any given day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's always there's always, te there's always someone to tell you you're doing something wrong. When I met you, I mean, we met on I did Brian Mate uh, solo tour years ago with Tim Brickus and uh, yeah, Lee Pryor and stuff, and that's where I met you first. Paul. and that's how I ended up coming back to work for Queen because you guys uh, you called me up to see if I was available. And well, you were the best. I think you, you were the best in your price range. I think, Bob. Well, I was on. I was on one side of the stage, and there was a certain price range on that stage, and there was a, a different mm. price range on the other side of the stage. We've had some very funny moments on tour, Pete, haven't we? I mean, we have like almost legendary moments. Well, we the, the, my still my favourite tour, and anybody was on that tour. The, the Queen's Head tour, where we we basically our bus became a pub. Um, <laughs> it did, and we had the Queen's and, Head. Yeah, the Queen's Head, yeah, we had a sign, we had, we, had, we had rope lights, we had barrier, if you remember. We had a bar, we had a doorman. Um, we had, uh, we had um, wasn't there, it was, well it was, it was a team night every night and it was, wasn't it based around a, a Queen song on the set list? Yes, but basically, yeah, so we had, um, but the infamous night was, was try your mother's gown night, wasn't it? <laughs> um, where we all dressed up as, we all dressed up as, as women. <laughs> And if you remember, we we congered drunk through everyone else's bus. <laughs> Some people who won't who, who will remain nameless look very very comfortable in a dress, and I'm talking about Alan Pollard. I do now. remember, yeah, yeah. We won't mention his name, of course. No, yeah, don't mention him. Happened. Yeah, don't mention his name. Um, but if if you remember rightly as well, I mean that was that was hilarious. That too. Yeah. Yeah. I remember some. Remember one of our guests coming on the bus afterwards, and saying and saying that the bus was more fun than the gig was. <laughs> <laughs> that, was that was never going to be allowed to last. <laughs> no, never. But we... we um, didn't yeah, we, we used uh, to... Uh, didn't um, um, uh, the production team... Well, it was Albert at the time, and uh, in fairness to Albert, Albert uh, let us park away on our bus, but he ended up having to move the bus to the other side of the arena or the other side of the uh, stadium because uh, there was a whole disco party bus going on in the middle of a loadout, wasn't there? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, but people used to like it, Bob. People yeah. used to come, yeah. when they finished work, they, they'd pop in for a beer, wouldn't they? That's it. Yeah, they'd pop yeah. in for a beer before they had a shower. Yeah. They'd come and sit down. Do you remember we did, hair, we did haircuts as well? We did haircuts yeah. one night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but and, and, and also, um, and also our, our our bus driver Reno. Do you remember Reno? Yes, I do. It's, he, he it's, all, to, it's all coming back now, actually. Yeah, yeah. He, he had to pull the bus over. <laughs> he had to pull the bus over 
on the on the freeway one day because we were dancing on the seats and we were making the bus bounce up and down so much you couldn't drive. It's hard to believe actually uh, that after... we're still alive. <laughs> well, after that, that I actually went on to a responsible role at in production. Isn't I know. <laughs> I know. And, and I remember. I remember you saying to me in Chicago. You, you I think you were with the script, and you, you, right. you just happened to be in Chicago, and and you came out of a drink with us. Yeah. And you were you were going to bring some of your some of your crew guys, well, and I, you decided you decided not to because yeah. you said. You said, I know all the stories are going to come out and I'll have absolutely zero respect in the morning for all my crew guys. <laughs> the fun that we have on tour is, is great and it is fun and it's fun on days off. And, but, you know, it's hard. It's hard to be away. And I think, yeah. I think a, lot of, a lot of people are starting to realise I've had more conversations with people in the last two or three years about, about sort of mental health issues, about being things like that, being away from home. You know, I've I've had a couple of couple of horrible experiences lately. You know, my mum my mum passed away when I was on tour, and everyone at home is still having to deal with it. And you're eight thousand miles away from home, and it's it's not it's not easy. It's not easy being away from your family. It's not easy being away from everyone when you need to be there. And when you know, none of us are getting any younger, Bob. And and you know, people are starting to drop. People are starting to drop off the drop off the merry-go-round. You know, lots of people are. You know, lots of lots of our colleagues. It just it just feels like they're starting to, you know, starting to to die around us. And it's, it's just, like we're, we're we're in that phase or that zone now. I mean, yeah, yeah. We're not it's parents, it. but it's parents, but it's also colleagues. Pete, I, I know your your kids. Um, I mean, they're grown adults now. But how was it for them at home? Would you've been away? It was it was it was absolutely horrible. My kids are eighteen months apart. So in two thousand five, Libby would have been five, and Frankie was six and a half. Now that's that's not easy if there's two of you, especially when the perception from the person left at home is that you're out traveling the world, having a great time, sitting on beaches, yeah. Yeah. sitting in a bar every, you know, sitting in a bar getting getting pissed up with your mates, yeah. and that does happen. But it's it's not every day, and 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 it's it's your job, and it's you can say you can say to your partner, to you blue in your face. To, to you blue in the face, this, this is what I do for a living. You know this is what I do for a living. This is how we can afford to live the way that we live. Mm. It doesn't make any difference. If you've got, if you've got two screaming kids at home that are, that are, that are playing up, it's hard. It's, and it's hard, it's hard to hear it as well. It's hard to hear it when you're away. Mm. But I think, I think it's going back to my part. I think, it's, I think the mental health side of things, I think it's definitely getting better, especially amongst, amongst the guys. Because when you, if you're away, if you're away on tour and you're having a, you're having a down day or you're having a bad day, it's, it, it would be quite difficult 10, 15 years ago to go to your mate and say, I'm having a bit of a down day today. I've got the black dog today. You know, I feel really depressed. I feel really this. Yeah. I feel really that. And but now it's it's it doesn't seem like a bigger deal. And the more you the more that you talk to your friends, the more that you realise they feel exactly the same way as you do. And it's not such a big deal anymore. It's not like. Um, you know, you, you have to maintain this. I'm the big man. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Brian Maysby Tartek. I'm the scripts production. You know, I'm bulletproof. Nothing hurts me because that's bullshit. Because, you know, you've got you've got to be a pretty unemotional person not to be affected by what we do for a living and being away from being away from your wife and kids and it, it's and and your home and your your family and your mum and dad and your sisters and your brothers and and your friends. It's you know. It's just it's it's hard, and I think I, I think it's getting better though. I think, I think people are starting to realise that 
you know, they're not, you know, they're not alone. Everybody's kind of in the same boat. This is a very, very serious conversation for us, Bob. <laughs> it is, but then, hey, you know what? As you say, we wouldn't have had this conversation 15 years ago, would we? No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't because we, I just presume... we probably be afraid to go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, no. I just presume you're okay and, yeah. because you're laughing all the time. Yeah. And because I'm laughing all the time, you probably just presumed I'd be okay. And actually, as we're as we're chatting, I mean that you said two thousand and five. So my two kids were born two thousand and three, two thousand and seven. Yeah. When we were out in that Queen, um, Paul Rogers, I suppose the second one which I was on. So my two were raw babies then, and I was on tour. Yeah. And um, do you know you? I suppose you never knew because I laughed my whole way through it. But that was very tough for uh, NASA uh, at home on her own with two raw babies. And then we, you know, we just never, we just never went there. We just never talked about it. You know, you come out the other side of that, and uh, you know, you sit down as the kids are getting older, and you have me. I've said this in a previous podcast. You have me saying to NASA, you know, telling her it's going to get easy, and we've good standard of life, and things are going to get easy as the kids get older. I mean, what you know? What right did I have telling NASA things were going to get easy? Because I'm away on tour. I'm yeah. Even if it's and, and as you say, it, you say it's it's a it's a very it, it is a bubble when you're away, and it's like a separate, it's like a completely separate existence. And I think I think people. I mean, I I I always struggle when I come back from tour because it's what you want to do is, and I try and explain this to my missus. What you really want to do is sit in your garden, and decompress. And I know I know some people lie to their wives when they finish tour and they'll they'll say the tour finishes like three days later than it does and they'll just go and sit by a pool yeah. for three days decompressing so they're ready to go home and i don't think that's a terrible idea to be honest um because it, it, it's hard it's hard to come back and you know the fence needs mending well my one for the last i think i was telling you this in la and my one for the last few years i think from the production role as well because you're constantly busy and constantly on it I'd head out about quarter past four, half past four in the afternoon, be back in my bed uh, by eight o'clock. And if I didn't yeah. back in bed by, say, eight, half eight, quarter to nine, I'd start panicking a little bit. Because, you know, you have a 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. lobby call or something like that, and you just can't go with a hangover, you know? Well, no, but um, in, in the past, Bob, that hasn't quite been the case, has it? Um, <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> well, obviously, when you were doing backline, um, yeah, let's get let's get back to the serious chat. <laughs> okay, the serious chat. We were we had a day off in Rotterdam, if you remember, right. and we sat we sat you and me and a few of the others. We sat drinking all day in a bar, all day. And uh, we, yeah. you were drinking you were drinking Leffy, I seem to remember. It was about ten o'clock, and I said, "You let's go and have a nasty lasty in the hotel bar. Yeah. Let's go and have brandy and an espresso. Keep you awake and put you asleep at the same time." <laughs> And I said, you went, okay, then. And we went in the bar about half past 10, all ready to go to the bed. And you went, you said to me, oh, I know that bloke over there. And I went, oh, do you? And you went over and chatted for about 20 minutes. You came back over and you went, we're going out. And I said, where are we going? You said, it's the Dubliners crew. The, Dublin, the Dubliners are playing in an Irish bar down the road. And we're going out with them. I was like, okay, this sounds good. And then the last thing I remember was staggering around in this Irish bar at four o'clock in the morning with a pint of brandy and Jack Daniels, me, trying to find you. And, then, and we eventually, we, we left, yeah. we left, we, we could, we, we staggered around 
looking for a kebab shop at like six o'clock in the morning. This was if it, people were going to work. We were asking them if they knew if there was a kebab shop open in Rotterdam. What could possibly be bad about that? And then, but then we couldn't find the hotel. We wandered up and down for about an hour. We could not find a hotel. So we were trying to find a cab. We couldn't find one. We, we saw one at some traffic lights. And he had his light off and, and we went, cab, cab. And we stood in front of him and he was going, no, no, I'm not, I'm not open. We got in the back anyway. And I, I showed him my room key and I said, we will give you 50 euros if you'll take us back to this hotel. And he looked at the, the, he looked at the key cards and he went, okay then. So I gave him his 50 euros. He drove for about 40, 45 seconds. <laughs> And dropped us outside our hotel. <laughs> and we eventually got back. And then in the, but then in the morning, in the morning, all our, our pigeonholes were stuffed with Dubliners swag. Do you remember? Yes, yeah, when we checked out. Yeah. I've still got my Dubliners hat. I've still got my yeah, Dubliners yeah, AAA pass. But the funniest thing was that, that the singer had left me a signed album of the previous singer who died, the previous singer's album. But, so the dead guy hadn't signed it. The, 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 the replacement singer had signed it. It's brilliant. It was, Only with the Dubliners could that have happened. It was, was Ronnie Drew's solo album. And it was yeah. John had signed it for you. Yeah. <laughs> it was superb. That was a good night. Oh, what would your favourite gig be? I mean, if you were to pick any gig time oh. period. Te I mean, technically, for sort of, personal satisfaction and um, for the amount, for, for the size of the audience and how technically difficult it was, it would be a toss up between him playing on Buckingham Palace roof oh, wow. and, and the Olympics closing ceremony because it was massively high pressure. God mm. knows how many people watching. Somebody said for the closing ceremony of the Olympics, it was like a billion people watching it live. And, and we had no idea. Brian was the only live guitar player that day. Oh, right. yeah, and all the yeah, he was the only guitar player. Like they wanted him to play to track, and and he wouldn't. And and the same, he wouldn't play to track, um, on on the on on the palace roof. He wouldn't do that either. He said, "No, if I'm going to play it, I'm going to play it." Well, I remember. Um, um, I remember the palace roof because uh, I was there that day with the chorus. We yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah. The stages, and there was a wasn't there a fire, and we were evacuated to the tennis courts in Buckingham. That, yeah, that was the that was the day before we were evacuated to the. Yeah, that was the day before. Yeah, there was a fire. Um, yeah, that was quite amusing. Wasn't it? I think there was there was like two million pounds worth of fireworks on the roof as well. <laughs> <laughs> what band would you go see, though? Who would you be your favorite band? What to if, ever go and see? Yeah, if you had to buy a ticket for a gig in the morning, and just go see a band. I would always go and see Status Quo oh. back in the day. There was a, you, you know that, Bob. They're, they're the best band in the world ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, obviously, Quo for, Quo for me in the like early, early 80s. Yeah, yeah it'd have to be. Oh, but but, but going, going back to what you were saying, like, to, the, the, my favourite gigs, and it's, it, happens, it happens quite a lot. I sit there and I'm working and everything will be fine. Brian's playing well. The crowd are brilliant, and I sit there like a fan, and I forget that I'm supposed to be doing something. Yeah. I sit there and I watch them sometimes, and it's 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 magical. And you watch all the punters going mad, and you you, you watch you, you listen, and I forget that I'm working. They're my favourite gigs. Mm -hmm. And the last time that happened was when they did they did um 
on the last tour, they they did the Live Aid set um, as as they played it at Live Aid, obviously, um, and they did it in I think it was in I think it was in Sydney. I think it was, and it was a, a benefit for the firefighters gig. And they they played they played the entire, and it was a real special day because it was bands on and off, bands on and off, all day. It's one of those, and um, <clears throat> they played it absolutely flawlessly. They absolutely nailed it. And as Brian came off, because they they played they tried to play at the same time in the afternoon that they did for Live Aid. So there was people on after us. And um, as Brian came off, I just said to him, "Fucking follow that." And he went, "Yeah." Fucking follow that. And it was great. And, and I, was, I felt so pride, so much pride in working for them. And, and it was just, it was superb. It was absolutely superb. Yeah, and like, things like that give, give you pleasure. What's your favourite part of touring, Pete? I love the camaraderie. I just, it's, it's like, I, you know, I used to play a lot of football and a lot of cricket. And being, being a part of that team and all that goes with it and the, and the, the banter and the, just the feeling of you're all, yeah, the camaraderie, I think, is the, that's the best bit for me. And the amount of, the amount of, new, the amount of people, friends you meet from all over the world and, yeah. you know, they remain, they remain lifelong friends. You don't, you know, the, you, you don't see anyone for, could be 10 years and then you bump into them and it's like no time has, yeah. no time has passed. What's your least favourite part of touring? Raining. Outside raining <laughs> gigs. Outside raining gigs. Log I remember... I'm going back to Justin Crew. I remember, I remember Justin Crew when I when I'd got the job with Brian. I took him out for dinner to say thanks for him getting me getting me the job with Brian. And he said to me, "One day, you'll be standing on a freezing cold loading dock in the pissing rain, and you'll be cursing my name." <laughs> and about and about 15 years later, I was in Newcastle, standing on the back of a truck. It was snowing. And it was it was freezing cold. I was so miserable. And I phoned Justin Crew from the back of the truck and said to him, "Do you remember about fifteen years ago? You said I'd be cursing your, I'd be cursing your name because I'd be standing there." And he went, "Yeah, yeah, I remember that." And I went, "Today's the day, you motherfucker." <laughs> it took fifteen years. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Least favorite, but being away from friends and families, yeah, you, you know, is an obvious one. It's very hard to explain it or to get the balance right in the sense of because if your favorite part of touring is the camaraderie and being on tour and you love being on tour, it's almost then, it's almost you're upsetting the balance of love and being at home. Yeah, you know I mean? and it's trying to get that, trying to get that balance right or trying to represent. Absolutely, it. as we were talking about before, it takes a while for a while for me to get out of that bubble. Mm. And it's not fair, really, is it? It's not fair when you come home and I think we're well, all, I think we're sort of used to it now. I think I think I think the missus actually likes getting rid of me for about seven or eight weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I went on tour, my my missus put a Facebook post up that said, "Dear Pete, I've just noticed you've gone. And the only reason I've noticed you've gone is I haven't eaten for seven days. The washing up's piling up, and the dogs haven't been out for a walk. <laughs> Can you come home now?" <laughs> I'm a genius, that is. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, and I spoke to my, my daughter. Was staying. My daughter was hit back, back from um, back from Brighton last time I went on tour, and I, I left. I had to leave at like five o'clock in the morning for the airport. And I, I opened the door and I went, "See you later, Libby." And she went, "Where are you going?" I went, "I'm going on tour." And she went, "Oh, bye." Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, "When are you back?" I went, "A couple of months." She went, "All right, see you then." Yeah. And, yeah. and the chances are the guys at home have no interest whether you're in Barcelona or Santiago or no, don't care. No, don't care. Don't care. Away. Yeah.
And so, man, before this current pandemic broke out, where were you meant to be? What month is it? I think we were probably just about to start rehearsals for for a European tour. Um, but that's that got cancelled quite a while ago. Um, and it's supposedly next year. And there was <clears throat> there was some talk about something else, um, which I don't know if it will happen or not later on in the year. But I don't, I don't know. I sort of haven't heard it. I, I don't imagine anything's going to happen until next year at the earliest. Until until there's basically until there's a vaccine. I don't think I don't think anything's going to happen. It's what most of our industry is saying, Pete. Maybe other people have other ideas, and hopefully we all get back sooner. But mostly, I think because we travel so much that we kind of realise that without a vaccine in place, most of us can't see how we're going to get back to normal. Well, well not only that, but the, you know, how can you get a crowd of? 20,000 people into an arena or and safely yeah you know you, you can't you can't we can't travel yeah and the, the punters can't get there or, or they're not allowed to be there and that's going to be tough for a lot of people I'm again I'm in a massively privileged position because because I work for Brian full-time and he's as you know one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet in your life that's not a worry for me finding work it, it, it isn't and but but for a lot of people, you know, ninety nine percent of the people in that industry, they're they're screwed. Yeah, they really are, and and, and I feel terribly sorry for them. And I, I don't, I can't see an end to it. I really can't. I can't see, I can't see any tours. And you imagine how how frantic it's going to be when it does start up again. Everybody's going to want to go out. You know, we'll probably have to employ you. You know, we'll be scraping the barrel. So so low, we might have to get you back, Bob. Again. <laughs> you should have learned from the last time not to be scraping the barrel. <laughs> oh mate, yeah. Oh, you're the you're the nicest the you're the nicest bit of shit I've scraped out the bottom of a barrel ever. <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to teach me everything I never knew. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough. I mean, it's tough for everybody. It's, it is yeah. tough for everybody, but. You know, all the catering companies, everybody, the, the lighting companies, I, I imagine a lot of them are going to go. I mean, the clever thing is is maybe reaching out to some of the suppliers and the vendors and maybe just, you know, paying a deposit up front and booking equipment. Because a lot of the tours that, that have been cancelled, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure people getting refunds or just getting, keep your ticket. A lot of bands have got the money. Yeah. And I imagine you can get a, a refund if you want one, but you might not be able to go next year to the gig. And so, yeah, I think that's that's possibly something that people could do because, they, you know, a lot of bands already have the money. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, Bob. I don't know what the answer is. There, there I think one um, I chatted to somebody recently as well, and they, they it was a very, a very um, honest uh, opinion or thought they had, and they reckoned that because we're going to be off for so long, uh, other people will just have to find another way to earn a living and uh, they, they won't be able to come back to this industry. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Pete, unsung heroes on tour, who would they be for you? Uh, apart from guitar techs. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, it's got to be the caterers, mate. Caterers, first in, last out, keep everyone happy, keep everyone fed. It's like... And catering is like the hub of everything, yeah. as you as yeah. you know. It's it's where you, you can you can sit with your workmates and talk about work, or you can sit with other departments and not talk about work, or you can just sit there and stuff donuts in your face like you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, catering catering is is absolutely the uh, unsung heroes. Going back to what you were saying earlier about um, uh, 
you know, mental health issues on the road and stuff. It's actually where it's where everything can tick or not tick. It's where you can spot where you might think somebody's somebody's having an off day or a bad day or something just by the sort of demeanor and mood and catering. Absolutely, and it's and it's a place where you know everybody you know generally on outers days off everyone mixes, but at gig days you tend to stick with your own sort of departments. So yeah. catering is a massively important yeah. place where everybody can go and everybody can sit with who they like or what they like and talk about what they like or who they, you know, or what's going on or, yeah, massively, massively important. And obviously, you know, it's going back to that thing, you, you know, you can't, you can't expect your troops to fight on an empty stomach. And, you know, you give people food all day and a beer at the end of the day and they'll run through fucking brick walls for you. And that is the absolute truth. Yeah. Pete, when you fly, um, window or aisle seat? Um, Business, it doesn't matter to me, mate. Okay. <laughs> but no, window. Always window. Always window. Always window. Yeah, but I've got, but I've got, bear in mind, I've usually got the guitar with me as well. That's it. So, we'll, um, so there's a sort of, there's a, there's a years old rumour that uh, every time you travelled, when you travelled, you had to book a seat in business for the, for the um, old lady as well as in the guitar. Uh, well, that's, that's half truth. It, it, we, we book a seat for it. Um, I've never ever had to put it in a seat. It always goes in the overhead locker. Um, but once you, once you've got a seat for it, it, it's fine. But you can't. I can't risk putting that. I can't and risk putting that guitar in. It's never out of your sight, really, when you're when you're moving. No, no, never, never out of my sight. And everybody knows that. And it travels with me. And yeah. And so yeah. So yeah, it's it's half. It gets a seat. It gets a seat. But it doesn't sit in the seat. Pete. Do you remember what you were doing on September 11th? I do. I was um, Brian. I was at Brian's studio, and he had an interview with Rolling Stone magazine. Do you know what we were due? We were due to go and do an unplugged session with the Foo Fighters. We were due to be in New York, and we were flying back on that day. We were due to be flying back, and it got canned. And when I told my mum that, even though we didn't go, she cried. So we could we could have been at the airport or on a plane uh, at that time, uh, September the yeah September the 11th. Pete Malandron has been a scream catching up with you. Some very oh, mate, cool stories there. And, always uh, a pleasure, mate. Thankfully for me, we didn't get through half those stories. Thanks for coming to the green room. Take care. Bye bye. In the green room, sponsored by SOS Global Express, proudly supporting the frontline efforts throughout the COVID nineteen pandemic.